0: Good morning. Welcome to Milestone McKinney. Uh, I am Chris. I'm the campus pastor here and uh, as Alex said, we know each and every weekend it's someone's first time. That's a big deal to us. So if this is your first time and I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service. So thank you so much for joining us today. Well, we are kicking off this series called Promises, and uh, it, when we look at this, we're looking at the promises of God, who He is. We've had a couple of weeks, kind of introductory weeks, to kind of lay the foundation, but this is a unique series. It's something we do uh, periodically through the, the course of the year. We typically do it about this time. Sometimes we'll do it uh, in the in the fall as well, but we found that this is a unique journey that we take together, and the reason we do that, and we do it this way, is because we're able to all grow together. Uh, In fact, our students will be going through promises on Wednesday nights at Elevate. Uh, Our children, uh, they're going through promises. They're discovering how to pray. They're discovering what God's promises are. In fact, they have this chart. You're going to be leaving with this, mom and dad. They got a chart that they're getting, and they're going to be going home with this. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, I I like color by number. Can I get one of those? You can, okay? As long as we have enough for the kids. Be, I have a child at home. Can I have an extra? Okay, sure, you can have an extra. But why is this so significant? Because we want them to understand God's principles and promises as well. You don't have to wait to be great. You don't have to wait till you're older to get all that. You can learn and grow. So this is significant it's a journey we're all taking together, and we are excited about it. And, and as you've heard in the video, you heard Alex, small groups kicking off today. If you're not in a small group, I promise you, we want to help you get in one, help you make uh, connect the dots. There was uh, two couples I was talking to in between services. Get, they were just meeting each other, getting them connected, helping them kind of bridge that gap. Listen, you may have a group. You, you could start just as you heard in the video, at work. Friends, co-workers, it may be just you and your spouse because that's the season you're in, but go on this journey together. I'm just telling you, it's so significant. Just simply gather where you're already gathering. We're working hard to create small groups for you to be a part of in whatever season of life that you're in. Open up your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, and then we're going to go to Luke Chapter Four, And like I said, we spent the last couple of weeks laying this groundwork of these prom- this promises, these promises that God has for us. What does that mean? When you look in the Bible, the word that you actually see in the word of God is this. It's covenant. What is covenant? Covenant is really the word that's used. It's a biblical word for promises. It's really more significant than just simply a promise. And uh, as you look at that, you begin to understand that we have this covenant-made. Making, promise-making God, who is also a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God, and we want you to just continue to journey and chart together with us uh, along on this journey. And so that's why we have things like the, gu- the these guides. If if you haven't had a guide, in fact, we want to make it real easy for you. If you'd like a guide, you haven't received a guide. The ushers are ready. Just lift your hand. We'll serve you. We'll bring you a guide. If you're in here, you need a guide. Raise your hand. I'm telling you. Look right here. Look. We, they will bring you a guide. They're going to. Bring you a guy. We want to make it easy here, some of here. Why? Because what we're doing is we're going to be looking at God's word. When we're diving into this, this is going to help you kind of begin to dive into this principle of what it looks like to understand God's promises. We want to make it very simple for you. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate, right? And, and it's not as complicated as we think. God makes it very simple. But there are some specific things that we have to begin to do to be able to embrace and take God's promises and see how they apply to our life. Here's the thing. The reason why we're looking in God's word, the reason why we make these guides, it's not just so we can produce some material. It's so that you see that in God's word there's a theme. Throughout his word, from beginning to end, that ties to the promises of God. Who he is, how he operates. But here's the challenge. When you think of promises, you tend to think of promises the way people have made promises to you. They've broken promises. They've said one thing and done another. That makes it hard. It makes it challenging. And so we navigate. And that's why when we're doing this series, it's so significant that we understand we're going in and we're looking. Wait, wait. God's different than that. He's a promise-making, promise-keeping God. Think about, and I've shared with you and asked you the last couple of weeks, what's the most significant promise you ever made? A few weeks ago, I shared with you, I mean, you think about marriage, and, and marriage is a significant promise. I shared with you, uh, Wendy and I will be celebrating 20 years this summer. Last year, I remember, uh, the pro- I shared with you, or last week, I, I shared with you the promise of the first home we bought. You're signing on the dotted line, and like, oh my God, can I, I hope I can pay this note. You know, they're going to come and, and take it from me. But, but there's another promise I think we all make. It looks a little different in different seasons of life, but I'm reminded of this particular type of promise. I, I, was, a, I was a young dad. Camden was probably about three or four, uh, which, which means Willow. My middle child was probably about one or two, something like that, somewhere in there. And so, spur the moment, we're driving. Just rocking that minivan, okay? Just minivan like dad's you just kinda of just, just roll. With it. I tried to get her to get a suburban. She said, until they make a SUV with sliding doors, we get in a minivan. I said she said, I get in a the target. They park too close. I can't open that door, get that car seat in. I said, All right, babe, minivan it is. Okay. So we're driving in that minivan, living that minivan. Life, right, it was a nice used minivan, it had leather, you know, it was well worn leather seats in this used minivan we had. You know, it'd been loved on, all right, but it was ours and we loved it. We're just driving, Wendy. She likes to call it the swagger wagon, you know, she got a little style, you know. And I was a spur of the moment trying to be husband of the year. I said, Babe, you know what? Now, I, this is me having no context of what this actually takes. I said, Babe, let's stop, let's get your nails done. <laughs> I pull in, saw this spot, just pull right up, go on. But she's like, really? I said, yeah. She said, what about the baby? She's sleeping. It'll be fine. You just go in there. It'll be real quick. Just hop in there, get your nails done, and just come right out. (laughs) Apparently, it ain't real quick when you get your nails done. I don't know what they're doing in there. I mean, like, what, what is happening? I mean, just trim them. And paint them. I'm mean, what, what's the deal? I mean, apparently there's these cuticle things, and you got to soak them, and then you put them under a the law. I don't know what is happening. Go in there, and she's in there. It felt like she's in there for a long time. She'd been in there about 10, 15 minutes. All of a sudden, baby's in the back sleeping, and there's this unusual smell coming from the back of the van. I'm thinking, man, I don't smell good. Wendy's in there. She's got hand under blue lights or something. And what are we going to do? I'm like, All right, we're just going to roll the dice. You know, I'm texting. Her. I'm, babe, you almost done? Almost done. Like, we just started. I'm like, oh, this is not good. Okay, we'll just see how long we can hold out. It just, it kept smelling bad. It was just bad. It, was just, it just kept going. So I said, well, you know, I can't leave my child back there for the next, I don't know how long this is going to take. And it just, it smelled bad. So and now I changed the diaper too. I got a little, you know, a little pro touch on me. I felt like I'm, you know, seasoned. Okay, seasoned dad touch on my life. But for whatever reason, I don't know why, I guess I just thought, you know, I didn't want to put her on the floor in the back seat. And so, and, and it's a little low, you know, it's a minivan, it's low. So, so I decided I'm going to put her in the front seat and change her diaper. But there's this unique thing about front seats. They, they have a decline to them, subtle little decline. So I, I open up that package, and, my oh God, in hell, what, what, is, what happened? What is, that, what is happening right now? So, I mean, I've changed the diaper. I started, But here's the problem. I'm changing the diaper. and baby's sliding down that seat. I'm trying to catch the baby. I'm trying to change the diaper. Slide, baby. And before I know it, just to make a long story short, it was everywhere. I mean, I went through a whole thing of wipes. I'm trying to, it's on the roof. Floor, thank God we had leather seats. I mean, we're just adding to the personality of the seats now. I mean, they now they're really well worn. Okay, I mean, like I had to, I took her, I put her on the ground, okay, or on the floor, of the, and I closed the door, I locked it. You know, it's it, it, I had to go inside, I had to get paper towels out of the nail salon. I needed reinforcements. It was bad, it was miserable, and I'm thinking to myself, God, if you just get me out of this situation, I will never change another diaper in my life again. Okay. Okay, well, I'll never change another diaper on the front seat again. Now, now, you think about that thought. Have you ever made that promise? You've been in a miserable situation. It may, not, it may be a little heavier than a dirty diaper, although those get heavy too now. It may not be like that. But we've all been in a miserable situation where we're going, God, if you just get me out of this, I'll never do it again. If you'll get me out of this relational struggle with my spouse or this loved one, I'll never respond that way again. I'll never use that tone. I'll never use those words. God, if you get me out of this debt, this financial pressure, I'll never charge on a credit card again. God, if, if, if you'll just help me in this situation, this scary moment, I'll never make that foolish decision again. God, if you'll just work on my behalf, and if you'll just help me not feel terrible, I'll never party like that again. We have all made promises like that. We've all lived in that tension of going, God, if you'll just help me in this moment. If you'll just get... And so in the moment, we make these emotional promises because we want out of the miserable situation we're in. Here's a problem with an emotional promise. Oftentimes, when we make emotional promises, we don't have the strength or the fortitude to actually live it out. We don't have the fortitude to actually see it come to pass and actually see those emotional decisions happen. That's why we're doing this series. Because oftentimes we make emotional promises, and that's our context. And what happens is the challenge is we relate to God and His promises the way others have promised to us, or the way we make promises, that's emotional in the moment, but actually doesn't it's not fulfilled. But God doesn't make emotional promises, He makes eternal promises. He makes promises that impact our eternity. That's why understanding and looking at this is so important. You see, the principle and the foundation of why we're doing this series is because what we're doing is we're not looking to the emotion of a moment. We're not simply viewing through the lens of how we perceive promises based on our experience. We're going to God's word. And we're looking at the nature and the character of God. We're looking at what God's word says. And what happens is now we understand we don't have to relate to God the way others or ourselves make promises. We relate to God based on what his word says, which is this. It's a guarantee. You see, he guarantees his promises because they're rooted in the nature and the character of who God is. So when we look at that word and we look at this, we understand and realize and recognize, well, wait, I, I can be encouraged. I want to give you an encouraging verse today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. I mean, you just look at this verse, and it's the first part of, of uh, verse 20. I'm sorry, yeah, verse 20. And it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. All the promises? Yes? Yeah. In Jesus, every promise that is made is yes. That's the significant power of what his word is saying. In Jesus, everything that is promised, we have access to. It's a yes. Think about the power of a yes. You see, we're all looking for it, yet we're looking for certainty in our life. Think about it. Before you purchase something, step into something, before you become a part of something, what are you doing? Google, check, what are the reviews, five-star rating. Wow, what are you looking for? You're looking for confirmation on other people saying yes to that thing. Then I'll jump in. What he's saying there, Paul is saying everything in Jesus is, guess what? Yes, five-star review. Thumbs up. Way to go. Go for it. Get it. Yes. Why? We're all looking for that. But the certainty that you're looking for isn't found on Google or in a review. It's found in Jesus. All of his promises are yes in him. All of them. And you think about that. Think about the emotion of a yes. But think about the emotion of having to wait on a yes. It it boggles me. I'm always amazed by it. We're around young people often... And, and, I mean, freshmen, sophomore already, they're working on college applications. They're, they're, they're experiencing the stress of having all the grades that they need to have. So they get accepted and they get the yes from that school that they want to get into. It's crazy for me to think I've got a sixth grader, but that's going to be my world in a few years. For some of you, you're living that. Think about the yes that you're, you're, you're waiting for when it comes to that job you've been interviewing for or that promotion. You're in the third cycle, the third round of that job interview. Or you're, you're in the third uh, interaction or conversation with a supervisor about that promotion. And you're waiting. Man, am I going to get it? I, I, I don't want to get my hopes up. Is it, is it going to work out? Think about that, that, that business deal you've been working on. Months and months and months and months. Am I going to close that deal or is it going to fall through? I'm waiting for that yes. I'm trying to buy a home. You're like, man, I, I just went and looked at that home this morning, and it's already, like, sold that afternoon. Like, I just put an offer in. Am I going to get a yes? I think about my children. I, I've told you before, Fridays at the Lerma house is, is ice cream Friday at the end of the school week. We, we hit up this Dairy Queen right here, and we pull in, and here's a little pro tip for all you parents. Don't walk in. You go through the drive-thru line because here's why. Here's what I do. You know, you pull up. And see, when you go through the drive-thru line, there's only one way for that ice cream to make its way into the car and to those children in the back seat, through me. So that ice cream comes, and I just take a little tithe, take a little bit, and just pass it, a little tithe. I just, you know, I, 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 just, I have as many kids as I do, not because I like kids. I like my wife, and I like ice cream. More kids I got, more, more tithe I got, you know, just pass it on back. It's a little pro tip I learned from Pastor Jeff back in the day. I'm like, this is powerful. I like this. I, you just you, you take it on. What, but here's what's so amazing about that. You know what's crazy? The minute I do that in the backseat, that's too much. Don't do that. I mean, you would, the emotion from the backseat, you'd full on think that no ice cream has ever made its way back to the back of the car. You think I've never given them any good thing. You think I'd eaten all the ice cream and they've never had any on a Friday. And it's just my ice cream on a Friday. It's amazing the emotion. There's this tension of waiting on the yes. Am I going to get into that college? Am I going to get into that job or that position? Am I going to get the house? Am I going to get the ice cream, the stuff? And when you don't recognize that all the promises Jesus has for you are yes then you live in that tension overwhelmed with that anxiety. But you don't have to. You don't have to live wondering, am I, is it gonna? You don't have to feel like those kids in the back seat wondering, is God ever going to give me anything good? Is it ever going to come to me? Is there enough? All the good that I see, them getting some good, and she got some good, and he got some good. Now, I guess there's not nothing left for me. God is not zero-sum. Just in case you're wondering. He's got plenty to go around. But we live in that tension because we don't understand. Yes and amen. That's what God's saying here. That's why this is so significant. So this is is what I want to talk about. What are the things that Jesus says yes to in our life? And we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. Before we get into Luke chapter 4, Luke is, Jesus has, has just come in from the desert. He was tempted by the devil. He walks in, it's the Sabbath, and he goes into the synagogue. So this is is like common. This is normal. Go into the synagogue on the Sabbath and read Scripture. Now, he goes into the synagogue, reads Scripture, and he actually asks for one of the scrolls for the Scripture. He actually asks for the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a book in the Old Testament. It's a prophetic book that prophesies of the coming Messiah. You see, the people were waiting and believing for the Messiah, their Savior, to come to set them free. So, Luke is writing about Jesus. He's referencing Isaiah. We're going to read the words, actually, of Isaiah in Luke, so in the gospel, okay? And Isaiah is referencing Leviticus, and we're going to look. What is he talking about in Leviticus in the Old Testament? Here we are, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says that he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Now, before I read to you what was written, here's what's unique. They read in sequential order, right? It's systematic. So I don't know if it just so happened to be Isaiah that they were reading, or Jesus actually requested the book of Isaiah. Either way, while I don't know, it's significant and it's powerful. Again, he's reading Isaiah, chapter. and if you're wanting to know, you can see it even in your book. Take the note, Isaiah 61 is what he's reading. Isaiah 61, that's what he's reading. In verse 18, here's what happens, here's what he says. He's quoting Isaiah 61 here. Verse 18 of Luke chapter 4 says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. There is good news. You know what I've realized in over 20 years of ministry? People at times don't realize how good God is. So they they, they fail to realize, there's good news available for me. God is good. He is faithful. He is working. He is moving. Because I'm telling you, when you experience Jesus working in your life and the goodness of God, it doesn't mean we won't have challenges. John 16, Jesus says, in this world you will face trouble, tribulation, trials, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So it's not, we, 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 we tied difficulty and struggle and assume that because we experience that, that he's not good. That's not true. So he's saying, I came to give goodness to who? The poor. Now when you look in the word of God, the word poor in the New and Old Testament at this time, it didn't refer to what we think of in Western culture. Of poor being finances or just simply limited the financial realm. What it actually referred to was the condition of your soul. So what they're saying, what Jesus is saying, what Isaiah was saying was they're poor in spirit. There's poverty in their soul. What is poverty? It's lacking. So anytime you look and you read the word poor or rich, what it's speaking to is not financial status. It's speaking to the condition of someone's soul. So there's good news for where you're lacking in your soul. Anybody lacking in your soul? He's just saying there's good news. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see here, right here, the year of the Lord's favor, what is that? Well, he's tying back to Leviticus chapter 25. The year of the Lord's favor ties back to this overarching principle, this thought, this concept called the year of jubilee. We're going to look at what the year of jubilee is here in just a little bit. I'm going to unpack that a little bit more for you in just a minute and tie that in to the year of jubilee, what Isaiah is saying, what Jesus is saying, and how that impacts and applies to our life. Now, watch what happens, verse 20. It says, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Okay, so Nothing crazy has happened. It's not abnormal. Someone comes in, reads the scripture, reads the text. Okay, But here's where it gets crazy. Watch what happens, verse 21. It says, he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Here's what he's saying. Everything I just read, that's me. All those things, the freedom, the, the, the captives being set free, all of the healing, the wholeness, the blind being able to see, all of these things, it's found in me. I am the fulfillment of that prophecy. I mean, they're, they're, imagine what the people are feeling in the room. He's saying, that that you've just seen and you've read remember, they've read that for hundreds of years. This prophecy of a coming Messiah, the Savior of their people, the Messiah that they've been looking for. He's saying, that's me. Watch what their response is. It said, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Then they said, isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? You see, they all responded, but they missed it. Look at their response. The response was based out of the context in which they have always known him. He just said, everything you're looking for, everything that this prophecy says, it's in me. And they're like, okay, that's good. I mean, he was eloquent. We, I mean, we received what he had to say. But isn't that, isn't that Joe's son? Joe, you know, Joe down the block, Carpenter Joe, like, isn't that? They did the same thing at times we can do. View Jesus through our previous experience through view Jesus through the context and limited context of which they know him that they, they missed it they only saw him for who he was and in the context that he was so not only did they not see the goodness of Jesus they miss out on all the yes that he wants to speak to their life you ever missed out on things I'm sure there's things I've missed out on sometimes I know sometimes I don't It's kind of like when you go to a restaurant, I don't know about you, but when I go, I'll be honest, I I can be a little, maybe maybe it's high maintenance-ish, you know, I rarely, when I go, you get the menu, right, now you can download the menu, right, you just take out your camera, QR code, boom, pops up, It's it's powerful, I rarely order anything on the menu the way they actually serve it. I'm like, I'd like this and this, but not that. I'm like, give me the chicken fried rice, hold the rice. They're like, well, that's just fried chicken, sir. I mean, I'm like, I, don't care. I like the way it tastes when you cook it all together. Can you pull all the rice out for me? I mean, I'm just, that's the way it is. It's kind of like when you go online. My favorite spot online, and, 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 and companies know this, web developers know this, every single website you have is going to have one that you go to. It's the search bar. I like the search bar. They put that there. Why? Because they know if they can't give you an avenue to get to what you want quickly, you're going to leave. Now, I like the search bar. And here's what's crazy is on the search bar, I can even filter what I want to search for. I want to search for just this or just that. and you know, Then you get on platforms like Amazon, and they'll, they'll remember what you're searching. Right Then they start sending me emails. Apparently, Wendy, because I've been looking, we've been looking at vacuums on Amazon because Amazon's sending me uh, uh, emails. We found something we thought you'd like. Here's a vacuum. I'm like, I don't want no vacuum. Apparently, Wendy wants a vacuum. Boom. That's it. I mean, they just know. That ain't why? Because we like our world the way we like it. We want just the things we want. Let me search for what I want, the way I want it, and move on. And If I can't find it quickly, I'm out of here. I think in our culture, here's what becomes challenging. We miss out on the promises of God because we have search bar filter Jesus. I'm going to search out a little bit of this about Jesus and a little bit of that. I'll take this and I'll take that, but, but none of this. I, I got Jesus on the golf course. I feel his presence. It's beautiful out here. I got Jesus in the deer blind. I got Jesus at the gym. I got Jesus at the nail salon. All those things in themselves, not bad. I got Jesus there, but I don't want Jesus here. I like Jesus. I want to search out and filter through what I want and where I want Jesus. Now I don't want I don't want Lordship Jesus. I don't want all in Jesus. I don't want Jesus talking to me about how I responded and spoke to my, my, my spouse and my children. I don't want Jesus talking to me about the areas of my life I got to grow in. I I don't want the Jesus. And so we miss out on the fullness because Jesus is saying, I've got more for you than you realize. But you're going, I want a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I I want chicken fried rice. Jesus, hold the rice. Well, then that ain't chicken fried rice and that isn't fully Jesus. And you're missing out on the fullness of the promises he has for your life because we're trying to filter and search through. Can I tell you? That's the same mistake and the same challenge that we have is the same challenge they had during this time. They simply said, isn't this Joseph's son? They're filtering him through that lens, their preconceived notion of who he is. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't fit into our search bar filter Jesus. He's bigger than that. He's saying if you'll come all in and you'll go all in. I believe, 20 plus years, of I'm telling you, I believe people don't go all in in their relationship with Jesus because they fail to see all the things he wants to say yes to in their life. All the ways he wants to bless them, provide for them, and make a way. Because I'm telling you, when you experience that Jesus, it doesn't matter what you walk through. It's hard, it's challenging, it's difficult. But you have hope in a Jesus that transcends all of those things. So, so how does this apply to our life? Well, here's what I want to do in the next few minutes. I'm going to make it very practical, but I want to show you this big principle called the year of Jubilee. You find this in Leviticus chapter 25. Now, this is a significant principle in this time because here's what's happening here. There was this concept, this idea that happened every 50 years. So essentially, it's basically once in a lifetime. And there are some significant things that happen. Now, I'm going to tie in the year of Jubilee to what Jesus' promises are for us. This is not all exhaustive, and this isn't just limited. These are the only things that Jesus provides. But here's what you're going to experience. When you experience the gospel, the good news of the gospel in your life, and you experience the fullness of a relationship with Jesus, can I tell you what happens? You certainly are going to experience these things in your life. So let's look back first at Leviticus 25. Here's what... The year of Jubilee says, first thing is this. It says that what you will experience is this. The land lays fallow. What does that mean? That means you don't work the land. You're, you're not, it's not producing harvest, which means you're not working. So basically what would happen is this. That last year that you're working the land, you would work in that one year, and God would provide three years' worth of harvest. One for that particular year, and then that you'll let the land rest that means you wouldn't work the land for two years. Two years, you don't rest. So, wait, wait. God provides. Yeah, God provides. Three years worth of harvest in one year. That's what the year of Jubilee meant. Every fifth year, you're going to let the land rest. Second is this. You're released from debts. Any of you ever had a debt you couldn't pay? Well, whatever that debt is, it's released. The third is freedom for indentured servants. Well, what was that? Well, what that was is this. is if, if you owed somebody something but you couldn't pay it back, you essentially went to serve in their home or perhaps in their business or their company until you worked it off. During the year of Jubilee, guess what? Boom. You're free. You don't have to finish paying off whatever it was you owed. And then the last was this. Property was returned. It, it was given back to its original owner. So it's like a brand new start. It's like a a restart, a fresh start. I mean, this is wild to think about this, but I want to break this down. Let me help you just real practically over the next few minutes, help you see and understand, okay, how does this apply to my life? Practically, what does this look like? What do I experience in Jesus? So we have the year of Jubilee. This is Leviticus, right? And it ties to what? Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, prophesying about the coming Messiah and what we'll have access to in Jesus. And then it goes to Luke, which is what we read, and Jesus is saying what? I'm the fulfillment of all of that. Okay, Pastor Chris, help me understand. How is all of this fulfilled in my life? Here's the first thing that we receive in Jesus. What he's saying, I give you, I have to give to you. And I offer to you a promise that I have for you, rest in peace. I mean, you want to talk about what we want and need in this culture? Rest and peace. We're, we're looking for peace. We're looking for rest. We're looking. I mean, again, think about it. God's saying, in this one year, I'm going to provide three years worth of harvest. You're not going to have to worry. I'm going to take care of you. You see, when you partner with God and his principles and you experience his promises, they're counterintuitive. It's like tithing. Wait, I'm, I'm more blessed living on 90% of my income then 100% of my income, that doesn't make sense. But it does. I met with a couple last week. They're like, Pastor Chris, we, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's coincidental, coincidence. I mean, we just started tithing, trusting God with our finances. I got a promotion and a raise like a week and a half later. That's not why you tithe. What are you doing? You're saying, God, I trust you. But it doesn't make sense. I'm going to be more blessed off 90% than, than the 100? It's like Sabbath. Hey, you're going to work really hard six days. Then one day a week, you're going to rest. You ain't going to do nothing. You mean the world's not gonna fall apart, neither is my house, my kids, my family, my job, my company, my business, the deals I'm trying to solidify and finalize? You mean that doesn't make sense. But here's why it's so challenging for us, because we're not as good at rest and peace as we think we are. Here's why it's because we think rest and peace is out there. If I can just get to spring break, oh man, rest and peace. If I can just get to that vacation, I'll experience rest and peace. It's kind of like Disney World. I love Disney World. It's fun. My kids were talking to me about it. My youngest, she was like four months old when I took the older two. She's like, I didn't get to go. I want to go. You know, it's like you go, and it's fun. It is. It's awesome. But can I tell you, if you've ever been to Disney World, you ain't going to Disney World for rest in peace. Boy, it's a full-on track meet. You best get after it, and you best be ready. And look, all them little kids, you like, you're going, you're going. You're dragging too much. I ain't taking you. You're going to triple the work. We're leaving you here, okay? It's like... Rest in peace. But, but rest in peace is not out there. It's found in here. It's found in Jesus. He says, look, come to me, all you are burdened, weary, heavy laden. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why? Because our rest is found in Jesus. So, so that's how Jesus, that's what he's promising us. That's how he works. Here, here's the second thing. The release of debt. Well, what do we find in Jesus? It's forgiveness. If you've ever experienced forgiveness, it's one of the most powerful things that you can experience. Think about a debt that you couldn't pay. Think about a financial debt. And someone came and said, I'm going to pay all your debt off. You, you may go, well, I don't, I don't have any debt, so it doesn't really translate. You may go, well, I have some debt, but i got a game plan in place, and debt rolled down, and I've been listening to some mentors, and we're, we're working out. I got it. I can take care of it. You know, Or maybe you're overwhelmed with debt. You're like, yes, please. I like that. Can I have a little bit of that? debt? Freedom from debt? Think of it this way, though, when you're thinking of debt, when you're thinking of a gap. Have you ever hurt someone that you really love, a spouse, a loved one? Think about that time frame between when you hurt them and when they forgave you. Man, that time in between is rough. You're like, are we good? Like, like, are we, if, just a husband, just so you know, if you ever have to ask, are we good, you're probably not good. Just start with, I'm sorry, help me understand, okay, I'm going to make this right, okay. But are we good? I, I, I don't know what's, ha- what, like. think of that tension in, that you're going through until things are made right. Here's what Jesus is saying. That tension that you felt in relationships, that's what's happening between you and God until Jesus pays the price forgives you, pays a debt that you could not pay. You see, because it's not like a debt you could possibly pay. It's not a debt that you had a game plan to work your way out of to pay. You could not pay this debt. We all have an unpaid, a debt that is unpaid that we cannot pay. And only Jesus can make the difference. Only Jesus can pay our debt. And that, that really ties in to the third one. And it's, he gives freedom from the things that bind us. Freedom. It's like a prison when, you, when you're in that debtor's prison, those things that hold us back, and you feel overwhelmed. And, and think about it. Think, think about what it would look like when you've been overwhelmed with sin or mistakes and challenges. And, and, you, and, and what would you think if I told you you could hope again, you could dream again? You see, there's this, and again, 20 plus years of ministry, it never fails. Every time I talk with someone who gives their life to Christ for the first time, or they recognize an area in their life where they've been operating in sin, or there's things that they could work on and they need to grow in. It's like when they give it to the Lord, all of a sudden, they say it every time in some form or fashion. They just go, I feel lighter. During Prepare, we got a story of a woman who said, I came up for prayer, I didn't want to, I came up for prayer, and I had so much anger. I was angry at God, I was angry at this situation, that situation, but I gave it to Him. And really, what she, she had anger, but what it was, it was unforgiveness. The Bible says that you should forgive, so she didn't realize, she didn't want to. Sometimes that's how we operate. You're holding on to sin, you don't even realize you have. She's holding on to that sin, it's holding her down. It's a weight. And this is what she said when she sent us that story, and she shared with us what God did. She said, "When I prayed and I gave it to the Lord, she said I felt so much lighter." Those are her words. Maybe you've experienced that. You see, that's what sin does. It overpromises, looks good on the front end, but the weight of sin overwhelms you. I, I, I read a story this past week. I was reading in this book the story of a monk who was visiting a particular uh, Montessori in Snowmass, Colorado. And he went, and when he was there, he saw a monk off by himself, a fellow monk off by himself working in a garden. So he goes to him, and he just simply asked him, he said, What is your dream? And the monk said, I dreamed to be a monk. And he said, Well, aren't you a monk? You are, aren't you? He said, Well, I've been here 25 years, but I still carry a gun. And he lifted his robe and pulled out a revolver. A gun-toting monk. Sounds like a movie. He pulled out a revolver. And he, and, and the visiting monk said, so, so they won't let you be a, a, a monk until you give them your gun? It's a true story. He said, no. He said, it's not that. He said, many of them don't even know I have the gun. He said, but I know I have the gun. I know I have it. And he said, well, why don't you just let go of it? And he said, I've just been hurt by a lot of people. And honestly, I've hurt a lot of people. And I just would feel uncomfortable without it. And the visiting monk said, well, you seem pretty uncomfortable with it. You see, here's the premise of that story. Is so many of us have a weapon, a gun, self-defense mechanism, something. Protect ourselves, hidden under the robe of our persona. Here's who we are, but we have something under there. And, and all the while, God's saying, I'm your father, you're chosen, I love you, you're, there's freedom for you. But, but we hold on to those things because we think it would be very uncomfortable to let go of it. It's almost like a safety blanket. But in reality, when you start walking in relationship, that's why it's sometimes hard. And, and it's, it's, I see it often for some of you. As you begin to walk in relationship, you begin to experience, whoa, as I'm walking through this, people are starting to see me and get to know me and recognize where I'm at and all of these things. And so you begin to realize that they start noticing, but you look real uncomfortable with it. You see, that freedom comes by you letting it go. It's from Jesus. You don't have to walk with that weight. You don't have to walk with that sin. There's freedom for you in what Jesus did on the cross. Which leads me to the last thing. And this is what's so significant. And this is what I love about this, because really this is the gospel. This is, when I experience the gospel and the fullness of the good news, I experience rest, peace, forgiveness, freedom. But then I experience restoration. You see, when I think of things being returned back, I think of restoring. And, and I think, honestly, we, we have a propensity to be uh, drawn to that, to drawn to restoration. And, and I think part of that is because that's how God wired us. There's a longing to want to be back. Because when you're restoring something, what are you doing? You're putting it back to its original intended state. I mean, think about it. There's house shows about it, car shows about it. I mean, you think about, I mean, we buy creams, oils, ointments, all oh, sorts. We're trying to restore things that were lost. I need hair here. I need this a little tighter. I need that little with them wrinkles, crow's feet, whatever. I don't know. It's like, I mean, all of it. Why? We're looking for restoration. But can I tell you the most restorative thing you can do is experience the promises of Jesus in your life. Nothing restores you like that. But, but let me go a little deeper. You see, because not only do we experience the restoration He does in our life when we surrender our life to Him, and He's our Lord and Savior, but you can experience restoration in your marriage. You can experience restoration with your children. You can experience restoration with that business partner and that business deal that went sideways. Why? Because that's what we experience when we experience the promises of Jesus. See, Jesus restores. He restores. He comes and and brings freedom and and healing and and wholeness. And and make no mistake. Yes, obviously we give our life to Christ. Because many people, they start out, well, I don't want to go to hell. Heaven seems like a better option. Let's go there. But what Jesus is talking about is talking about here and now. There's not restoration this year of jubilee This year of the Lord's favor, this restoration. There's no restoration in heaven. Everything's made perfect. So what he's talking about is, I want you to experience that restoration here. I want you to experience that freedom here. I want you to experience that rest here. I want you to experience that forgiveness here. But it's only found in Jesus. But why do many of us not experience that? Why do we miss out on that? Well, I was reminded of it this past week was counseling a couple, and the wife was overwhelmed with anxiety and worry, and she was like, well, I mean, I've tried this, and I've tried that, and I've tried this, and I've tried that. like three or four different things she tried, and none of them were bad. They were all good. I think it was all beneficial, but I said, well, what does Jesus say about that? What is, who does he say you are? She's like, there's a relationship with Jesus. She goes, I haven't really stopped to do that. It's in our human nature. Why? Then in the middle of promises that God has in store for us, in the middle of something, year of jubilee, 50-year promise, debts are canceled, you're forgiven, set free, restoration, rest in peace. We don't embrace and experience those things. What do we do? We turn to ourselves. I think many times we do that because We think of God's promises the way we see how people have promised us or the way we've made promises. But that's not how Jesus is. He's amazing. And he loves you. You don't have to strive. He's so good. He's so faithful. And I'm telling you, when you experience the fullness of who Jesus is, can I tell you, you don't ever want to trade it in. It ain't like a product you buy at the store and you're like, well, I took that, tried it out, didn't really like it, I'm going to return it. Jesus isn't a product, he's a person, but I promise you, you won't return it. When you experience the fullness of who Jesus is, you start experiencing these promises.